John chapter 15 and the verse 1. These are the words of Jesus. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Now you know that from the fruit of the vine we get the wine. And the Lord Jesus Christ has uttered this after the Lord's Supper. So they have participated in the wine at the Lord's table and have drunk from the cup. He's already given the communion cup and the supper has been finished. And he said the words, I I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. And of that cup of the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ had said, this is my blood which is shed for you. So when we think of the vine, we must also think of the wine press, and we must also think of the squeezing of the juice and the shedding of the blood of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. There's no washing without the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no cleansing without the blood of the true vine. And in relation to the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ says two things here. He says, first of all, that he is himself that true vine. I am the true vine. And then he says, secondly, concerning his father, that the father is the husbandman of the true vine. He's the vine keeper of the vine. So these are our two heads this morning. And the first word that I would draw your attention to, and it is not an insignificant word, though it is a little word, is the word and. I am the true vine and. Emphasis. My father is the husbandman. I'm not alone. In the English, in actual fact, you will observe that the word is in the middle. There are five words on one side, I am the true vine, and there are five words on the other side, my father is a husbandman, and there's this conjunction in the middle. It's an evenly balanced text. And in the Greek, it is the very same. Although there are six Greek words on one side, and six Greek words on the other side, the conjunction is central. Balancing the text excellently. There is this fine balance on both sides evenly because both sides are equally important. Can't have one without the other. They're inseparable. We can't think about Christ, but we think about the Father. And we dare not think about the Father without thinking about Christ. That's the way the Lord Jesus wants us to think. He wants us to think about both persons. It is not Jesus only. It is Jesus and his Father. That's what he teaches us. Without the Father and the Son, there is no salvation. Without both persons in perfect unity, there is no remedy for sin. None whatsoever. The Father and the Son are working together 
for the salvation of sinners. The vine giveth blood, that is true. But the Father hath so wrought things that Christ is able to do that and it is efficient for sinners. The Father and the Son are both involved in the winepress work of our salvation. And that's what I want to emphasize this morning. Now normally when the vine dresser, the husbandman, is preached upon, he is spoken of in relation to the branches. Looking after the branches and caring for the branches. That's what Jesus did. He went on in verse 2 and following to speak about the husbandman's care for the branches, what he does to the branches. But I'm not emphasizing that aspect this morning. I'm emphasizing the relationship between the vine and the husbandman. That both of these divine persons, yes, the father cares for the branches, the church, but he cares for the branches because he cares for the vine. He has a love and regard for his son. So the father is not just the husbandman of the branches, that's what I'm saying. He's the husbandman of the vine of Jesus Christ. The vine dresser of the true vine. The carer and cultivator of his own dear son. Our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. As they both come together for the salvation of the world. These two heads. And we think about the true vine first of all. I am the true vine. Now you know that John is often telling us that Jesus said I am. He records very many of them. I am the light of the world. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the bread of life. This is the last that we meet. I am the true vine. Last, but as we often have to say when we speak about last things, last but not the least. And all of these things were spoken, all these I am's, all of these were spoken to assure us that Jesus is the Son of God, our only Saviour. The only one who brings us light. The only one who brings us to the Father. The only one who raises us from death. The only one who reconciles us to God. The only one who gives us the bread of heaven. The only one who gives us the life of the vine. And makes us to bear fruit to his glory. Christ is the only one. And all of these I am's are spoken to assure us that that is so. You see Jesus was often talking about himself. It's not good to talk about yourself. Because we're just sinners. We're nothing. We can't really do anything good to others that is of any great weight. And there's no point in talking about ourselves. But Jesus Christ is the life of the world. The essential life. And he must needs talk about himself to sinners. He doesn't give us a false hope. He doesn't present other things to us. He has to present himself. And he has to say, I am this and I am that for you poor sinners. And this morning he's telling us that he is the true vine. I also remind you 
that whenever the Lord Jesus Christ spoke this last I am, it was spoken in the light of his departure. He's about to suffer and die. He's about to be cut off. He's about to be removed from them. The Lord needs to assure them that though he's going to be cut down, and though he's going to die, it's not going to be the end. He's going to be the vine who brings forth the fruit. So the fact that he's going to die isn't going to cause that to stop or to cease. In fact, the fact that he's going to be cut down and die is the grounds of his fruitfulness. He's comforting them. He's assuring them, now you're going to see me die. You're going to see me being removed away. But I want to assure you that my father and I are still, we're working together and I'm going to bring fruit unto salvation. I'm going to have a great fruitfulness. So the cross isn't the end. The cross is the glory. The cross is the grounds on which the fruitfulness shall be obtained. They're going to hear, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that's going to sound strange to them. But the Lord Jesus Christ assuring them, my father and I were one, we're working together, and there is no separation betwixt us in this grand scheme. I am the true vine. He is the husband man. So he's, he's comforting his saints with this truth in what lies ahead. Even when Christ dies, even when he's treading the winepress and being squeezed and his blood is coming out, even the divine husband man is there and is part of all of that. Now, think about this word true. Why does he say true? Why doesn't he just say, I'm the vine, I'm like a vine? He doesn't say, I'm like a vine. He doesn't say, I'm as a vine. He says, I am the true vine, as if there was never another vine. I'm the vine. I'm the only vine that ever really matters. I'm the true vine. I'm the reality. So this word true is very important. And what does the Lord mean when he says that he is the true vine? He wants us to know this. Well, it means a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it means that we could look at it as opposed to the false. The true makes us think of the false. And so there are false vines. There are false religions. There are false persons. And they offer us things. They offer life. There are false religions that say we have the answer. We have the remedy. But they're false vines. And they don't bring forth fruit. They don't make men to be bearing spiritual fruit unto God. The false says, be joined to me and be fruitful. But it's a lie. Hinduism is not the true vine. Islam is not the true vine. There is no fruitfulness in atheism or secularism or materialism or socialism or all of these things whereby men promise us improvement on life. They're all false. There's only one true. Jesus Christ is the true life, the true source of fruitfulness unto God. And men have joined themselves to false vines. There's only the true vine that God deals with. God doesn't deal with Islam. The father is not the husband man of Islam. The father is not the husband man of Hinduism. 
The father is the husbandman of Jesus Christ. So we want to deal with the true and living God. We have to deal with Jesus Christ. We have to be joined to Christ. The father says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. This is my planting. This is my remedy. This is my vineyard. My son and his church. Those who are joined to him by faith. The branches of the vine. However, I think in our Lord's saying, the emphasis is not so much upon the faults. I think when the Lord uses this word, especially in John's Gospel, it is opposed not to what is false, but to what is shadow. What is merely picture. What is merely just the the portraying and the setting forth of, of the reality. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is saying, I am the reality vine. I'm not just the picture, not just the shadow, I'm not just the prophecy, I'm not just the foreshadowing. I am the reality, I'm, I'm the fulfillment. I am the prophecy fulfilled. I am not the earthly merely. There are plenty of vines around about, and in Jerusalem particularly. This is a particularly good place for vineyards. This part of Israel, and there are many of them about, and may well have been vineyards in sight, whenever the Lord was speaking these things. And so he's saying, look, there are plenty of vines around you, but I am the true vine. The reality. As if they're the only vine. So it's by divine design you see that Emmanuel's land was full of vines. The holy land is a land of vines. And it's no accident that whenever the spies explored the land, they come back with reports of the vineyards. And they even carried back samples. They carried back the bunch of grapes from the vineyards as a picture of what lay before them if they were faithful to God. And so all of these vines, and they're beautiful and they're very fruitful, but they're not the reality. They're just picturing Christ. They're just setting forth Christ. He is the true vine. Brothers and sisters, all earthly things are just shadows of heavenly things. If we could read nature the way the Lord read nature, we'd be so blessed. But all of these creatures were created to show forth the glory of the Son of God. The order is not the earthly vine and then the heavenly vine. The order is the opposite. The heavenly vine and then the earthly is created to picture it, to shadow it forth. It's not a case of oh, all these nice vines in Israel and God the Father suddenly said, oh, I think that's a nice picture. I'll call my son vine because there's all these lovely vines. No. His son is vine. And he created all those vines, those earthly things, to represent him, to picture him. Christ is before the vine. The true vine is before the shadow. And in the fullness of times, the true vine becomes visible. The reality becomes visible. And there's an uncovering. Of course, some people still are covered with the veil and they still can't see the true vine. We know that the Jews are like that. But for those of us for whom the veil has been removed, we see that the natural vine is not the reality. It's only setting forth. It's only picturing. It's only portraying him who is the true vine. So all vines are pictures and emblems of God's Son. And whenever you see a vine keeper, 
That's a picture and an emblem of the father's care for his son and what the father intends for his son. So whenever you go into a vineyard, if you're privileged to do that, if you visit Israel and you do that, you certainly have to think about this. Get to the reality. Get beyond the picture of what the Lord is is showing. And if you read nature the way the Lord intends you to read nature, it'll be a real blessing to your soul. So think about that the next time you see a vine. A vine is lovely, it's beautiful, it's sweet. The fruitfulness and all the fruit hanging down there looking beautiful, attractive. The Bible talks about people who sat under the shade of the vine, uh, sat under its shadow with great delight, and they found the, the shadow sweet, and they found the scenery beautiful and the aroma. It's just a beautiful thing to be able to relax and sit under a vine in a vineyard and to meditate and to reflect. As I said, the Old Testament often talks about that. Men resting or shading under the vine. Remember the song of Solomon? I sat down under his shadow with great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. And the Lord wants us to sit under the shadow of Christ. And to be reflecting on him. And thinking about his beauty and his fruitfulness and his sweetness. Rest under Jesus Christ. Rest under his shadow. Rest under him as the true vine. And find your comfort there. And find your shelter there also in the heat of the battle of the Christian life in this wicked fallen world. The Lord also may be alluding to Israel. Because in the Old Testament, Israel was called a vine. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, the Bible says. Visit this vine, the psalmist prayed, and the people of God prayed. Visit Israel, visit the nation, visit the land. But of course God had to say in Old Testament times through the prophets, Israel is an empty vine. Israel is not bringing forth fruit unto me. Israel is bringing forth strange fruit. I had planted thee a noble vine, he says. Holy a right seed, there was nothing wrong with your roots. I planted you, he says, How are you then turned into a degenerate vine unto me? What has happened to you, Israel? You are not fruitful. You're not bringing forth fruit. You're not bringing glory to me. You've degenerated. Because Israel's not the true vine, you see. Israel can't fulfill the mission of bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. Israel has failed because it couldn't possibly succeed in that business. Because it's not the true vine. It's not the reality. It's just foreshadowing him who is to come. Even Israel is a foreshadow of Christ. Christ is not only the true vine. He's a true Israel. Christ is the Israel of God. All the promises that were made to Israel have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's a reality. There's still people looking at the shadows. And thinking about the shadows even in relation to Israel. But Christ. Christ is the reality. He's a true And even in regard to Israel, we should be looking to Christ as the true Israel, just as he is the true vine. So he is true in in these regards. And that's how we see him. He's the one that brings us life. He is the one who brings us fruitfulness. He's like the, the Passover, isn't he? There was the Passover, and it brought the people out of Egypt. But he is the, re- the real Passover. He's the true Passover. Who brings the people out of sin. Out of Satan's bondage. 
we talk about the manna. The manna in the wilderness that fell. But the Lord Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the true bread. He's the true manna, the real manna. We talk about the rock. You remember the rock? Moses smote the rock. And Paul says that rock was Christ. Because he's a reality. He just pictured Christ. And God is always doing this all the time in the Old Testament. You remember the veil of the temple. And the tabernacle. They're not the true. He's a true. He's a true veil. When he dies he brings us into the true tabernacle of God. Christ is always a reality. He's always a true. This is what he means when he says it. The true vine, who will bring fruitfulness unto the nations in his marvellous grace. Bring us life. He'll not fail of his purpose. The false fields, the temporary fields, the shadow fields, but not the reality. I am the true vine. But then, secondly, let's think about and. My father is the husbandman. You see, the Lord Jesus. He never left out his father. While he's always saying, I am, he's always next, nearly in the same breath saying something about his father too. I am, my father, are one. We're undivided. We are inseparable. The Lord Jesus is never independent. And I'm talking about the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the man of Calvary who walked among us. He is never independent of his father. He is always depending on his Father in heaven. He's always looking to his Father. He's always conscious of his Father. As soon as he says, I'm the true vine, he immediately thinks of his Father being his cure, his cultivator, his keeper. My Father is my keeper. My Father looks after me. He's not a wild tree, totally independent, solid and separate on himself, standing up, as it were, on his own trunk and on his own roots. No, he is, as he becomes our saviour, he becomes the true vine who is wholly dependent on his father to uphold him and to sustain him and to hang up those branches, as it were, and to lift him up, always dependent on his father as our saviour. This is very important for our salvation. He is the true vine dependent upon his father and bringing forth all this fruit for his father. You know, there are certain brands of Christianity and if you investigate them, you would wonder, is there any father at all in that brand of Christianity? Uh, there are Jesus-only people and they're always saying, God is Jesus. But that's not the biblical way to talk. Jesus is God, is the biblical way to talk. And God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship a triune God. We worship three persons. Three in one and one in three. Yes, Jesus is God. As our Father is God and as the Holy Spirit is God. God is not Jesus only. That's what I'm saying. We are Trinitarian, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The one true God. And Jesus Christ is the sent one. The Son of God has been sent. And as incarnate for our salvation. In this humble vine. 
He is utterly dependent upon his Father. So it's the Father and the Son. Jesus is always saying, my Father. In fact, I think about over 30 times I counted in the Gospel of John alone, he says, my Father. This emphasis on the pronoun. And there are all scores of other times when he just says, Father. He's always talking about him. Always glorifying him. Always pleasing him. Always obeying him. Always going in his direction. Now as the Son of God, he is in the bosom of the Father. As the divine tree himself. As the Father and the Holy Spirit. But becoming man, he became for us and for our salvation a clinging vine. Ever dependent upon his Father. And this is essential for our salvation. This is why I'm bringing this out tonight. So when we sit at the table, we're not just thinking about Christ. We're thinking about our Father in heaven too. We can never forget him. We can never forget the both of them in unison for our salvation. So the Savior is saying, my Father wholly cares for me. And I'm wholly dependent upon him. You remember even when he was just a boy, how he said to his, his mother, wish ye not, I must be about my father's business. Always thinking about the father's work and the father's service. And the father says concerning him, this is my beloved son, I'm well pleased in him. You see, the Savior himself said, the son can do nothing of himself. Nothing of himself. But what he saith the father do, for what sort of things he doeth, the Son doeth likewise. I can of mine own self do nothing, he says. But the will of my Father which hath sent me. He has to just do the will of his Father. He can do nothing outside of that. Nothing outside what the vine dresser directs and commands concerning. And he never goes outside that order. Never goes outside the vineyard and acts as an independent tree. There's no salvation if our Christ goes, goes and does that. No, he says, it's my meat and drink to do my Father's will. To do his will on to the end. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. He didn't even speak of himself, he says. I have not spoken of myself, he says. But the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, even what I should say. So even all the words that he speaks are the words which his Father allows him to speak. So Christ is never acting alone for our salvation. We must remember this. And our Savior wants us to remember this. Because he said, the Father himself loveth you. I don't just want you to think it's just me. The Father himself loveth you also and cureth for you. It was the Father who planted him. It was the Father who sent him. It was the Father who equipped him. It was the Father who gave him the human nature. It was the Father who gave him the, the Holy Spirit and made him the Messiah. It was the Father who leads him. It was the Father who brought everybody across his path. Who brought that, for example, that, that funeral that was coming out of Nain as Jesus was heading towards, towards the city. Was that just accidental? No, it was his father. It was the husband man. It was him bringing everything across his path. And that timely moment. And all of this is happening in the life of Christ. Because the father and the son are working together for our salvation. 
and as the Father who leads him to the cross. He says, if I be lifted up, it's the Father who lifts them up. Yes, the Romans lift them up. Yes, the Jews lift them up on the cross, as it were, in condemnation. But it's the Father who sovereignly does it, who leads them to Calvary. It's the Father who puts our sins upon him that he bears on the cross. There is no salvation without the Father's hand in all of this. I would like you to think about this more. And let us not be those Christians who are just, you know, thinking just Christ on his own, independent of the Father. Yes, we emphasize Christ. We see no man save Jesus only, but not to the extent where we forget about our gracious Father who is in heaven. Every saving act Jesus Christ is involved in for our salvation, the Father himself is actually participating in that very act himself as well. So the vine is never separated from the vine dresser. And the vine dresser intends the vine to be the salvation unto the ends of the earth. This is what this is all about. Remember how the Bible says Joseph is a fruitful vine and his branches grow over the wall. They go over the wall and they reach out beyond the wall. And that's what Jesus Christ is. He, he's a vine that goes over Israel's wall and has gone out into the nations. That's why we're saved here today in Northern Ireland, in this distant island, away, away, far side of the world from Israel. At that time, the known world. We're, we're the distant. Yes, the Romans were, were looking across the sea at us in, in Ireland, as it were. But... This vine's branches reached where even the Romans didn't reach. And you're saved today because the Father and the Son, this vine and the vine dresser, has been working together for your salvation unto the ends of the earth. So, why do I say this? I say it because you see, congregation, we have a wonderful Saviour who humbled himself that mighty divine tree in the bosom of the Father. He humbled himself to be a vine. Do you know how feeble a vine is? Do you know what you can do with the wood of a vine? You can do very little with the wood of a vine. You'll not make chairs with it. You'll not make a table with it. He humbled himself to be the vine that needed to be upheld by his Father and sustained so that all of this fruitfulness to the nations might be brought about. What a wonderful saviour we have. That he could condescend to be that vine. To bring to us everlasting life. In our union to him. And what a wonderful father too in heaven. That he should send his son to do that. And that he himself should condescend. To be upholding this vine for sinners. Sustaining this vine for sinners. We, we don't often think about the condescension of the father. We know it was the son who was incarnate. But I, I think we have to think sometimes about, uh, to a certain extent, there is the condescension of the father as well in all of this. He sent his son. He caused his son to tread the winepress and to be the squeeze, as it were, all the blood squeezed out of him for the life of the world. The father is there in all of that. And it's because of their great love for us. So we have a wonderful saviour. And we have a, a wonderful heavenly father. And when we sit at the table tonight. You must remember Jesus. Remember me he said. 
But you must also remember the Father. And there's no fruit of the vine without the husbandman, the vine dresser. So we remember, yes, the Lord Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. But our Heavenly Father loves us too. So let's begin to think about this more. The Father and the Son. You see, we have fellowship not with the Son alone or with the Father alone. But Christian fellowship is, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's eternal life. It's not eternal life just to know Jesus Christ alone. It's eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So we have to know the Father and the Son. That's why Hinduism can't save. That's why Islam can't save. That's why Trinitarianism is true, true religion. Because there are these divine persons participating for our great salvation. So let us remember this. I can't close without a word to the unconverted. Seeing that there is a great salvation provided in Christ by the Father. How can you refuse to come to him? How can you refuse such a great salvation? How can you refuse such loving divine persons who work for the salvation of sinners? Surely you must say, I have to come. I have to come to this vine. I must be joined to this vine. There is no salvation anywhere else, so I have to come here. I have to partake of this life of the vine. And we do that by faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to be engrafted into his life. And into his death. By true faith. So come. Come to the vine. Come to Christ. And don't live your life outside of, of that. Of this wonderful garden of salvation. Don't live outside of that. But you have to come into this, this arena. Through faith in Jesus Christ.